It's Rusty Diamond, motherfucker. Yo, man. Oh, Miss Rusty. I feel like it's been a long time. I don't know how long it's been. Too long is the answer. So it's Monday. You guys, Monday's a fun day. You don't think Monday's a fun day? Change your shit up. So thank you, everyone, for being here on the Public Access Podcast, the podcast here on the Quantum Global Broadcasting Network, QGBN. I think I said I'm rusty. Uh, and you guys, thanks again. I said that already, too. So I think I'm ahead of it. If not, you guys can see there's some boxes down here. I'm cleaning shit. I'm moving shit. Uh, packing up. So everything's going to be kind of chaotic. This will probably be less and less as the time goes on for the next few weeks. So bear with me here. But I have a special guest today and I already started talking to him. And uh, I was like, yeah, let's just start it up. So now that I paused it for a little bit to do the introduction, I'm going to bring my special guest right here, right now. And my special guest right here, right now is Harvey Hazen. Did I say that right? I forgot to ask that part at the beginning. You did. That is correct, Hazen. Excellent. Okay. I was I was worried. I, I did that the last few times. I keep forgetting, and I'm like, oh, I need to make sure <laughs> I'm spelling or saying it correctly. But uh, I guess I don't need to worry about the spelling. It's on there. So, But, yeah, thank you for being here uh, on the show today. I appreciate you taking some time today. So thank you for that. Oh, that's great. I enjoy doing it. Yeah. And so, okay. So we were talking beforehand. So you were, you've been kind of all over the, the Northwest. Uh, and yeah, we were talking about yeah some places. Um, one of them you brought up though was, was Madras. When were you in Madras? Were you there in the mid eighties? You really want to know? Uh, that was my first teaching job. I started teaching in Madras in 1968. Okay, so you you were there before. Uh, so I, what what I was getting at was, you were you there like in the when was that like eighty six or no, something? I only spent uh, three years in Madras. Uh, okay. Then I moved back over the mountain to Milwaukee and was counselor at Milwaukee for eight years or so. So and so then that would have been a few years after. But that was at Rex Putnam. I'm not sure exactly what year that the Kingsmen were there. Um, That that sang Louie Louie. I think that's during that time. That was at Rex Putnam High School, the other high school in in the the district. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was at the old high school downtown Milwaukee. But I I believe you're correct. I think that was during the time I was there because I. I left uh, in 89. Uh, okay. So uh, I believe the Kingsmen were there. One of my favorite bands. I, I don't think I went to the concert. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. <laughs> yeah. It was close enough. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, one of the things I was, I guess, I was talking about last week on the show, as I was talking about, Somehow I got brought up uh, the, uh, I don't know how you want to say that, but whatever the stuff that happened in, in Madras um, with the uh, the Rajneeshi uh, events. Well, I have some interesting stories about that, too. I, I guess that's from being all over. I, I was in Hood River when the Rajneeshi, yeah. Oh, okay. So you're pretty. My close. wife, however, was a special ed teacher for for Wasco ESD. Oh, and so right she she district. went to Antelope. That was one of her assignments. Was at Antelope. Whoa. So I uh, I had some kind of inside knowledge. I mean, about what went on. She uh, it was interesting. She drove a red car, and I don't know if that had anything to do with it. Not. <laughs> I'd but they would, on, on multiple occasions, they would follow her out of town. Uh, oh, to check, yeah. I, I guess they were just checking on what she was doing. And on the day that they, on the Friday that they poisoned the uh, 
did the salmonella poisoning in the in the salad bars and the dals, she yeah. um, she usually went out to eat with and usually ate salad bar. And Whoa. luckily, she did not go that day because she didn't have any money, <laughs> so she didn't go out to eat. And but her uh, her superintendent uh, got food poisoning. Uh, a number of other staff members that had been out to lunch got food poisoning. Uh, so, and, and the other thing that's kind of interesting story about that, I'm a great storyteller, or I, I love stories, but anyway. Perfect, uh, then you're on the right place. <laughs> Sheila, uh, Ma and Aunt Sheila came to Hood River to convince us that uh, they had services that they could offer the district and i remember sitting directly across the table from her and studying her personality and her eyes and that because i i was a counselor i do that stuff and i thought there's something very strange about this woman uh and then that was at the very initial start when they first started and then it kind of just progressed from there. The sad thing about that is that they did some really neat stuff with that ranch out there at the old muddy and and they could have been I think a, a really viable good citizen of that community. But it went awry somewhere. <laughs> you know, I mean so I'm, so interesting what, times <laughs> so what what did you think of her of sheila i i sensed sitting that close to her you know you get a feeling about people and yeah. i i just sensed that there was something malevolent <laughs> about her i i couldn't tell you exactly why but it, she just gave off a sense to me that that there was something not right so when the whole thing came down and she ended up being the kind of center of the person that had orchestrated the poisoning and stuff i wasn't totally surprised in the in the sense that i just felt at that meeting like there was something strange <laughs> with her yeah. uh, wow it it was interesting. I you know we had saw all the films of the Bogwan leaving in one of his multiple Rolls Royces and the whole community chanting as he left. You know, and it it was just kind of so. When people talk about cults and stuff, I say yeah, I know a little bit about yeah. how that works, but uh, it, it was interesting times. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you were right there right in the middle of it and um yeah i mean it was something i don't think i knew about until maybe like 15 years ago which is odd living in you know yeah I, i've lived in oregon since 1987 and so that would have happened maybe just a little bit before then maybe like yeah i think so i think so just years. 85 84 somewhere right in there i think uh was probably yeah. the the date yeah there, there was a guy uh who was a professional wrestler uh who actually the people that i know in shelton were actually trained by this guy but then uh during that time he was wrestling in in you know the northwest and uh ended up doing a uh, he had a character where he was uh, basically a Rajneeshi guy as a bad guy. I think uh, I remember that. I don't remember his name, but I think I remember uh, something like that. He had a whole play off of, you know, the yeah, yeah. The, the, the Mega <laughs> Ma Maharishi uh, Imed. Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which was uh, yeah, um, Colonel De Beers was the guy yeah. that that did that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was it was a big big thing and uh it was yeah i don't know then i've heard some other wild stories about it and it's just been something that's kind of interesting and then i like you were saying like i don't know if i was older 
would I have been attracted to that? And would I have gone over there? Because, I mean, it, it seemed like it was a, a good thing. But then I don't know if, like, I don't know. You know, I, I, don't know I, I think it been. started out with the best intentions in the whole world. I mean, that the ranch that they took over, <laughs> I, I'll admit, I, I've hunted on that ranch when I was a teenager and in high school. I know the ranch really well. And it had just well, been run into the ground. I mean, it was... A, one of those ranches that had had cattle run on it uh, and that had been grazed and and the, there was a lot of uh, erosion on the ranch and stuff and they really did some really neat things with the ranch and they, and they built some great buildings greenhouses and all sorts of stuff uh, and and i I'm not sure where the whole thing went wrong. I don't know if it was all just with Sheila or whether the Rajneesh himself had a hand in it or the Bhagwan had a hand in it. I don't know. But all of a sudden, they started trying to take over the government of Wasco County. And yeah. when that didn't work, then it led to some of the other stuff that went on. And I yeah <laughs> strange times so. yeah. did you ever see that documentary that they did ended up doing i did i did uh and it was to, to pretty accurate to what i remember you know going on uh, yeah. uh i the end of the documentary where they followed what had happened to the people afterwards and stuff i didn't know that part that was interesting to me because i knew he went back, I think, to India, and I knew she had disappeared, but then got arrested. And I... <laughs> yeah. it, 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 there wasn't like much after that. Like once you know the news came out that they left it, and it was just yeah. over. There wasn't, yeah, much of a. I, and I on. never. One thing I never heard and always wondered about is uh, the people that I think the people that joined uh, the commune gave pretty much all their resources to the commune. And I think that's what built the buildings and bought his Rolls Royces and did all that stuff. I don't know what happened to them. You know, I, I always wondered about that. Where did they go? What did they do? Did they, you know, regain yeah. their life or what happened, you know? There was a lot. There was, uh, that's a lot of people that just, no yeah. one knows their story. No. So. Yeah, yeah I mean, that'd be kind of interesting to try. I don't know. I I wonder if people are around or if any of them are. I don't know. Still even good want to question. talk about it or. Carry yeah. it. If you could get in touch with some of them, get them on the podcast, that would be really interesting to find yeah. out what happened after the fact with them, yeah. you know. Where'd you go? Where'd yeah. you go? And. Yeah, because I mean, it was, uh, yeah, the whole thing just is crazy. Because I mean, it's uh, the only thing in the U.S. of, you know, the only bioterror attack in yeah. the country. And, uh, on a little bitty old town like Dallas, Oregon. I feel like, yeah, how strange, you know, but, uh, yeah, because I, I mean, between that and then like the only, um, what is it? The only there was that that there's like a, a Japanese weather balloon at the end of World <laughs> War Two that came over and then ended up like yeah you know ended up I forgot where that ended up where that ended up uh, uh not crashing it was, I don't remember Oregon? the whole story behind that either I remember there was a big panic over it uh, all sorts of stuff went on. Well, yeah. there's some great stories come out of Oregon. Oregon is, you know, yeah. how about the whale that went on the beach and, and they had to blew it, tried to blow it back in the water to... <laughs> <laughs> on the news. <laughs> on the news. I, I mean, yeah. I mean, I could tell stories about Oregon all day long, but what? And I'll tell you one more. Since we're telling stories, there was a, there was a uh, wreck down on i-5 somewhere around eugene and a whole group of cattle got loose and there was a 
they were black Angus. And so the Eugene, I think it was Eugene News, had a report on about the black Angus, and the two reporters are sitting there, and uh, the one said something about black Angus, and the other guy said, well, I hope they find black and Gus. <laughs> I looked at him for the minute, said, you think it might be black Angus? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know, just random stuff, but it, when I think about organizing all the good stories over the years. Uh, and then uh, then D.B. Cooper, yep. there was Dowan too, which uh, still, like, well, that, and that was another one. I, I didn't know until I was probably 17 or so until I heard about that story. Um, but that one, I don't know. I, I still... I don't know what I would say for my conclusion of D.B. Cooper is or. Well, the fact that they found some of the money in, in one of the rivers, I can't remember which one that comes into the Columbia, says that he probably did perish in the in the jump. Yeah. Unless he planted the money. But that's unlikely, I think. He probably did perish in the jump. But who he was and who knows? You know, I mean, they keep that. It's just a constant. They keep it's. It's kind of like Bigfoot. You know, it just keeps generating yeah. stories. Because <laughs> yeah, so. they even went back to it recently, and they closed the file, like maybe within the last five years, and then they opened it back up maybe a year mm -hmm. or two later. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, just something that's always yeah going to be the the myth of the Northwest and right. Uh, <laughs> So you have you come across Bigfoot uh, anywhere yet? No, but when I taught Mid River, I had a I had a uh, he's still around. He's a friend of mine on Facebook. But I had a social studies teacher that was the the uh, basketball coach, girls basketball coach. And he was driving a van back from Portland, and they swear to this day that Bigfoot crossed the road down there by Cascade Locks somewhere. If you know that gorge, you know where I mean. And, and you can't talk about him this day. He swears he saw Bigfoot, the Bigfoot crossed the road. Yeah. Oh, there you have it. Somewhere along the trail. Uh, yeah, out so, there by the... And, and walking... the girls who were in the van saw it too, but I don't know, some guy dressed in an ape suit maybe out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> I, don't, I have no idea, but... Uh, you never know in Oregon. No, you, you never don't. know what people are going to be doing. And uh, so then, so then you ended up going, and so you were in Madras, and then so then you went kind of where the you know the job was go go to there to Milwaukee well, to. I was kind of one of those people that that was always searching for something new and different to do. I I don't know. That's just part of my personality. So I. I, while I was in Madras, I got my master's degree in counseling from Portland State. And uh, then I went to Milwaukee High School, stayed there for a number of years. And, and I was summer school principal at Milwaukee High School for several years. And so that kind of the bug to you know, move into administration kind of bit me. And that's when I went to Hood River uh, as a vice principal first. And then the principal retired and I became principal. I was a principal at the high school for oh, six, seven years. And then uh, I wanted to get my superintendent's credential and doing something like that from the high school job was pretty difficult because you had to drive to Portland to get the classes. Lewis and Clark was the closest place. Oh, so I so took uh, Weiss Middle mm -hmm. School, which is out the valley there, Hood River, if you know the valley. And, and uh, I was ways for three years while I got my superintendent's credential and then I was superintendent over in Stanfield for three years and then I took Lebanon for three years and Lebanon was a interesting interesting place to be finish up your your Oregon career because it was the year that the state of Oregon had demanded or forced all K-8 districts to unify with the high school district 
And that happened on July 1st, and I became superintendent on July 1st, and there were five elementary districts and one union high school district. So I became superintendent. And a number of those elementary school principals that had been superintendents were now principals, and I was their boss. So uh, <laughs> it, it was interesting. I, but I, I took the job partly at least because I had three years left to go to retirement. They gave me a three-year contract and I figured just let it come. So it, yeah. uh, it was an interesting, interesting ride. I, hopefully we did some good things that left the district in better shape. And I retired from there and my wife said, uh, you, you bought too many toys. You've got a boat, you've got a camper, you've got you got to go back to work. Well, I can't work in Oregon. I'm collecting Oregon retirement. So I came up to Washington and took a job at the smallest district I could find, which is here by Shelton. It's called Southside. And it's a K-7 school district with about 280 kids. And I was superintendent principal for the first three years. And I said to the board, I think I'm going to retire because this is hard work, even though it's 280 kids you're doing everything <laughs> and yeah. they said oh don't do that we'll hire a principal and cut you to half time so i stayed another four years at uh at Southside, and then retired and i went over to yakima and bought 50 acres in yakima played with my dogs and did some hunting and did what i like to do and, and uh as time went on my wife had a lot of health problems and, and we were constantly running back over to the valley to oh. university of washington for health care and stuff and over the mountain and uh so we ended up moving back over here and then she passed away in 2019 which okay. led right on into the <laughs> the whole covid thing and and uh it, it that was interesting times and i started watching what was going on in education and the kids coming out of covid the parents and all the disruption and i decided to try to jump back in and do some good so i set up the coaching program that i have for parents and kids who are having difficult times and uh, not making any money but meeting interesting people like you <laughs> I'll, I'll <laughs> so, take it. Uh, so, uh, so that's what I'm doing. And, and I, I'm working with a few people that have a variety of programs that I really sold on one with drug and alcohol, one a communication program, one's a school safety program. And, uh, I'm going to try to help them get the, they're all on the East coast. And I'm not oh, trying okay. to help get some of those programs into some of the schools in the Northwest because I really see value in the program. So I'm just doing a variety of things. Um, and it, it's like, yeah. luckily, like, I don't oh, Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I was going to say, then there's Oregon with, uh, with what they've done with the education the last few years and with uh, the part where you don't need to be proficient in reading, writing, or math to be able to advance to the next grade or to you know like if the, the graduation rates are gonna go up but it's because everyone's getting passed through and i mean that's is kind of a it's it's, uh, it's hard it's hard to you know well, it's interesting forward. times in education in general and if you throw in what occurred during covid and stuff it becomes even more interesting and uh <laughs> you know i i don't like a lot of what I see going on. Uh, and I think there's there's tremendous room for improvement. I'm not ready to say public education is, is lost, but uh, and I and I think there's a lot of people out here right now that are looking at serious reforms that could make a big difference. Yeah, I'm but, one of those people. But I don't we have need, kids, but we need to change. I mean, the public education needs to change with the times and with the uh, with the demands. It's uh, and and quick fixes like automatic advancement or right. that sort of thing aren't aren't 
the heart of the matter. matter. Uh, the heart of the matter is uh, starting to reconnect with families and kids, uh, starting to uh, treat kids in a way that uh, demands proficiency and yet bolsters the self-esteem and the communication issues and all of those things that kids are having trouble with. And, that, and that's part of the reason these three programs I mentioned are are so interesting to me because they all aim at that yeah. uh, those issues one drug and alcohol one communication and the other safety so so i i guess i'm <laughs> i'm probably an outlier in a way both because i retired a number of years ago and both because i have some ideas that maybe aren't uh, mainstream ideas at the moment but uh but you got to be doing something with your life, right? What are you kind of thinking? <laughs> exactly, you should be. So, what what do you think? What kind of uh, ideas are you thinking, or is that something you don't want to get into? No, I I uh, I'm very glad to get into it. I think I think one of the things I was on a podcast the other day, interestingly enough, called Mass Off, and her premise is my I've always called it being authentic but her premise is that all kids come to school with a mask on and it depends on what's going on at home it depends what's going on with their their peers it depends on a lot of things what that mask is but if if the child is having um, academic problems if the child that are unexplainable by any uh, neurodiverse the new term i wasn't even familiar with it but right. yeah, <laughs> by, by any uh neurodiversity or any of that then there's something else going on if the child's angry if the child's uh, disobedient if the child's skipping there's 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 a reason for that right and i think we have to start looking as she would put it behind the mask you know we have to start at finding out what truly really is going on with children and i say that from both a school standpoint and a parent standpoint uh i think parents are so preoccupied with their own life at the moment especially coming out of covid and everything that i think a lot of kids are are slipping through the cracks from the parent standpoint that might not have four or five years ago uh, but I think the same is true with schools. And one of the things that I think parents need to learn to do is to take part in the school system, to advocate for their child. And when they see something going wrong, to know how to address that. Uh, because what I see happening with parents often is they let things go. They know that the child's struggling. They let things go. They let things go. Then they're angry. And they yeah, show the up at school. The children. Oh, yeah. Nothing good's going to come out of that, you know. You uh, learn at that point either. Exactly. The school's not going to accept the anger. The kid is is being uh, pushed to one side with a parent that's angry and is confronting the school. So I want to get across to parents if I'm working with the parents that Yes, they need to be an advocate for their child, but they need to do it in a way that's positive. They need to look at what's going on. They need to go to school and say, you know, I want to partner with you. I want to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. So together, what can we do to help this child? Uh, if they approach it that way, uh, schools generally are amenable to listening to working to trying to focus on the needs of that child uh, there are other steps that parents can take obviously and particularly if the if the child has a iep and if the school isn't serving the needs and isn't doing what they need to do then the parent needs to, to be aggressive enough to follow that up uh, with an advocacy group or uh, maybe with a lawyer but they need to make sure that the child is getting the need, needs met. That's the job of a parent. Um, 
Absolutely. On the other hand, the job of the school is to take that kid as he comes to them, try to see what's behind that mass, so to speak, and work with that child. And I've I, I focused on one area that I've thought a lot about, and it's just an example. Suicide. Our teen suicide rates are crazy, and they've gone up since COVID. And we treat treating it as a mental health issue. And it, in my opinion, in most cases, it is not a mental health issue. It's an emotional health issue. Kids are so emotionally lost. They're not connected. They don't feel loved. They don't feel cared for. They don't feel important. That they make conscious, and I think this is true of adults too, that they make conscious decisions that it's less painful to be gone than it is to be here and suffer. And I, I think we need to change our approach to all sorts of issues, not just uh, suicide, and take on many of them at least and take them out of the mental health capacity and start looking at them as emotional health issues. So how can we connect these kids? How can we get them the support they need? How can we help them see that there's value in the curriculum, there's value in connection to their school, their teachers, et cetera? I, I, and I think it's a big task. And I used to say to my staff, even back when I was principal, you don't teach curriculum. You teach kids. You present curriculum in the way that the students can absorb the knowledge that you're trying to get across. But the kid is the focus. The kid's what you teach. And I, you know, I, I said it so many times, they, got sick of, they probably got sick of hearing it, but but I really believe that, you know, we we focus, if, if you're a math teacher and you think you're teaching just math, you know, forget it. If you can't interact with that kid, if you can't make that personal contact with that kid, you're not going to get there. And at one of my favorite sayings kind of goes to that, you know, is Maya Angelou, and I think a lot of her, <laughs> what she did in her life. But she said, people will forget what you say. People will forget what you do. People will never forget how you made them feel. And I think that's really true. And I think we don't focus on that enough in schools or as parents. Um, you know, how is that child feeling? How am I connecting with that child and making that child feel? So that's kind of my pitch. And it's a kind of a big topic. But I think if schools are going to survive, they're going to have to start looking at things differently you know they're going to have to start looking at it from the child's point of view and saying what can we do to make those connections that are so important so now, where, where are you with homeschooling you think that can be done with homeschooled kids as well or is that kind of more of a here's what i well? here's what concerns me about homeschool i i think homeschooling can be done and can be done productively and and i think there are some good situations where there's networks, you know, homeschool networks that serve the needs of kids. But I'm concerned about several things. One, uh, is there a connection to a program that can provide the academic support that the child needs? Because I don't care who you are as a parent, you don't know enough right. to teach a high school kid all their subjects, okay? Right. Yeah. You just don't. Yeah, there's uh, no way I, my parents. I'd be a loss teaching math, but yeah. <laughs> that's not my strong point. Uh, so that's one thing that concerns me. The second thing concerns me is the social aspect. Uh, the kids need connections uh, to other uh, peers that are positive connections uh, with positive. People. Now, there's ways to do that, and sports programs certainly are one of them, and 
you know, networks and that sort of thing with the younger kids and they get together to there. So I think, I think it can be a positive thing. I'm not opposed to it, but I think there's too many knee jerk reactions. The, the public school isn't doing a job. I'm going to take my kid out of homeschool. Well, what I saw even back then was the parent would burn out a year or two down the road. The kid would come back to public school and all of a sudden he was behind his peers that two or three years that he'd been out. So that's where I'm at at homeschool is, yes, it's a viable option if it's done right. Um, and I see so many cases of it not being done right that that concerns me. And I even saw one within my own family, my my. <laughs> a family member well what a family member's relationship is I might get shot uh, <laughs> got frustrated with homeschool now, this is a very religious situation they had pulled the kid out and homeschooled well she did the homeschooling herself she never graduated from high school herself well and it shows the kids that they're older now. It's not a current thing that's going on. They're older, but but they haven't achieved much in their life. Uh, and I I have to go back to saying that was the issue, uh, at least at the at the start, uh, because uh, they just didn't get the basis they needed for a good start. Uh, so I, I'm, that's where I'm at. It's a yes and a no, <laughs> I guess, or a conditional yes or conditional no, or however you want to see it. So. There's not really any prerequisites to homeschool your kid. I mm -hmm. mean, not, not just, where I've been at least. They, you can just pull them out and say I'm homeschooling and satisfy the state by proving that they're doing how many hours at home or whatever you know the state requires and and that's it and it, and it can be uh, <laughs> it, it, the other thing I I'll be honest I worry about homeschooling sometimes because I worry about what's going on those kids with those kids at home with no eyes on it from anybody else I mean, as a school administrator, I wish I didn't have to say this, but I reported a lot of child abuse cases. That's something well, that I, you are it, trained to look for. Yeah, that you're trained to look for. And you see the signs of it. Well, if the kid is being homeschooled and it's not in a positive environment, the question becomes what's going on. You know? Do you think that's uh, something that happens? Maybe not a common, but uh, I don't know. That that's a really good question. I I suppose it's one of those things that could lend itself to some good study uh, as to how how many cases are there that come out of homeschooling situations that get divulged, and how many aren't there. I mean, I didn't. I've had such weird situations over the years with uh, with kids divulging and stuff. And if they've got nobody to divulge through to, you wonder, you know, what's going on. I had a boy, this is in the 80s when I was a counselor at Milwaukee High School. And I had a boy who had been coming to me for counseling. And, and he was a nice kid, but you could tell there was something going on that was different. One day he walked into my office and he said, uh, Mr. Hayes, I, I really have to tell you something. I said, what? He said, well, my my sister has a little girl and she's uh, three years old now. And my dad is doing with her what he's done with every child in the family. I said, what is that? He said, he's... Uh, an, he didn't describe it this way, but what it was was he's grooming her. 
she goes to the bathroom with him, she, you know, etc. And he said he's done it with every one of our of boys and girls. The whole family has been, in not his words, but sexually abused as they grew up. He said, I can't let this happen with my niece. He said, something's got to stop. <laughs> well, I'm a Brandon counselor. This is like second or third year counselor. This is in the 80s, and it's not something you normally... No, this was in the 70s, and it's not something you're hearing a lot about, I mean, back then. Yeah. So I called police. Well, I consulted with my administrator, called the police. The police came, and they turned it over to CFT. Well, he did get tried. He was one of the first in Oregon to be thrown in jail for a fairly long sentence. I don't remember what it was, but... but uh, so in my mind, having gone through that and other instances, I got to stop and say, hey, he's homeschooled. Uh, when he was in school, there might have been some signs that something was going on. So what's going on now? And why did they pull him from school? Yeah, so I suspect that there are more cases of it than we would care to believe. I wish that homeschooling had some sort of check and balance system on things like that, where at least the child had to see a professional uh, on occasion, uh, yeah. a counselor or somebody. Yeah, where they the, could talk with twice a month you know. yeah something yeah Three like that so uh that's one of my thoughts about homeschool too but uh and so what do you think then with uh i mean with covid and uh doing because i mean there's this like i you know Boy, I'm, the, I'm, not, I'm not here with you but i mean the situation is, coming out of COVID for, for kids and for parents, that's been difficult. I mean, you know, parents have been so disrupted and so preoccupied with uh, trying to do their job from home or, you know, whatever the case might be. And I can only imagine sitting there thinking to myself, I'm trying to do my job from home. So I got an eight-hour job to do at home. My child's over here in another room with a computer and he's supposed to be doing his lessons right is there any chance for <laughs> an issue here you know and, and kids came back to school behind you know there's no doubt about it everything says you know they lost a year or whatever in that two years uh yeah. of progress um one of the things I think is that, that we have to ask ourselves, is something like this going to occur again? Well, if if it is, and, and I think there's a good chance that it might, how can the schools be better prepared to deal with it? How can they have the tools available and ready to deal with this sort of a situation? A lot of those tools are the same tools that they should probably should be applying on a daily basis with kids anyway. You know, I, I, yeah, I don't think there's a either or, you know, situation here. Uh, so I think that's one thing, a lesson from COVID that we can learn is how can we be better prepared to deal with this if we end up in this situation again? Uh, the, I think the second thing that we might learn from this whole experience is, so rather than saying, as a public school administrator, rather than saying, well, once the kid leaves school and the parents teaching them at home, they're out of my hair. They're done. How can I, as, as a school administrator, I would be saying, how can I partner with that parent to make that kid's experience better? And some of the things that were used during COVID could certainly be worked into that partnership. 
such as, you know, a chemistry class that was essentially online with a few days that they came into school to work in the lab or something. I mean, some creativity here could go a long ways in partnering with parents and with the school system and that sort of thing. Yeah. I think parents need to be asking that question. And one of the places that they can ask that question is, is at their school boards. I mean, we have a system in this country where private citizens are elected to a school board. The school board has governance powers over the school district. So if parents, groups and parents are active enough to go to the school board and say, we want to, we will partner with the district in setting up a program where we can be homeschooling, but the school can also stay in contact. So win-win for the school because the school ends up still, most states at least, school ends up still collecting state money because they're partnering with the, the parent. Oh, yeah. uh, so why not? You know, yeah. I mean... Uh, and, and it answers some of those other questions about if the school's periodically seeing and working with the child, then it answers some of those other questions possibly about what what might be going on at home that might be detrimental to the child's welfare. So I think there's a lot of room for collaboration improvement in those areas. Uh, I think that's pretty so. important to, uh, you know, or just at least having the parent involved with, you know, and being an advocate too for their child's education. And like you were saying, there's a lot of, okay, they're out of my hair for eight to 10 hours a day and uh, I have to think yeah. about it. They they come home and uh, they do whatever. And right. Yeah. I and mean, that, it's, it's unfortunate. I just, I just saw that TV program this morning on, uh, they were talking about it as helicopter parents, but, you know, it's parents that are, there's a fine yeah. line between, you know, uh, <laughs> raising kids these days. We're in interesting times. I mean, do I let my kid ride down the block on his, on his bicycle with no fear of, of uh, something bad happening? Right. Uh, yeah, I mean that—that that was how it was when I was a kid. Exactly. And, you know, it I, was. Yeah. I told. I was just talking to. I was just talking to somebody about, you know, when I was a kid, I, I grew up on a farm. Outside the Dalles, Oregon, and at seven, eight years old, I was roaming the hills with my BB gun and my dog doing whatever I wanted to do, you know, or I was getting on my bike and riding down the road two miles to my nearest neighbor that was my age or whatever. The question is, would I feel comfortable allowing my kid to do that today? And how much of that discomfort is because we see so much on the news as right. compared to what's really changed or it hasn't changed you know i'm sure many of these things were out there when we were kids too or i was a kid but yeah. they didn't hit the news and you looked at them every morning you know <laughs> when you got out of bed so I, I don't know i parenting these days is not easy and, and i give them all the credit in the world for doing the best they can uh, on the other hand i think there's some parents out there that could pick up the game too you know so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i mean yeah it's i mean as long as there's you know people trying for the better for the you know the future generation i think that's that's important enough and just yeah kind of at least hoping that yeah. you know that i mean if you're you're a parent there's a pretty good chance you can't help at least with something yeah you might not think it but well, this small know. school district that i finished up with here in shelton i think is a it is a pretty good example of maybe the best in a way because it was probably as close to a private school as you could get in a public school it began 280 kids 
We had extremely engaged parents. We were always being asked to take out of district students. Every year we were full because, and it was because of the, as much as the fact that I had a good staff, it was because of the involvement of the parents. Here's a tiny little school who once a year had an auction. The parents ran the auction. They would get, they would raise thirty thousand dollars. Two hundred seventy kids in the in this school, and they would raise thirty thousand dollars in a in an auction. And and it was because they were involved, and people really cared about that school. Uh, and that's the type of parent involvement that you need in a school to make it really go and to be successful. So I would encourage parents that are listening to find a way to get involved. I think it it is extremely important to you, uh, to your kid's success. And, And it teaches the student a lesson at the same time. Look, mom and dad are involved. They care. Uh, yeah, and, and that's an important lesson for for the child as well. So, and so then, uh, Arby, how are people going to find you? How are they going to find uh, be able to work with you? Find you on the internet and everything uh, else? Uh, they can contact me directly if they want. It's and it's really simple. Harvey Hazen at yahoo.com. That's about as simple as it gets. Uh, so they can they can write to me uh, directly if they want. I do have a website. It's called HarveyHazen.coach, and it has on it connections. Uh, you know, a request for a a, a thirty minute appointment um, to talk. Um, and it, and what I've been telling people when I'm on a podcast is that um, the thirty minute conversation uh, for me to get to know people and to find out if it's an appropriate fit for me to help them is absolutely free. You know, that's uh, always. Um, and if they say, well, um, I, I saw you on the podcast and I was interested, then I will give them an additional 30 minutes of just free consultation time with any issue that they want to bring up uh, and talk about it. Um, so they can get a hold of me either directly with an email or they can get a hold of me through the, and, and at that point, what I'd like, if they can choose whether they just want a telephone call or a zoom call, which, whichever, or some other form. And, uh, then we can set up a meeting at the time and get that done. Uh, you know, I, I'm hoping that that each parent, as they contact me, will get some value out of of doing that, that I'll be able to help in some small way, at least. And then if they decide to go further than that, then we can talk about program and and how intense that program needs to be and what I would would charge and that sort of thing beyond that. Uh, But um, I'm trying to handle the, the... the uh, website um, looks a little kind of lockstep, like this is the program. Um, it was put together by a coach foundation, which I bought a coaching program through that got me started. Um, I'm not as lockstep as the website would kind of indicate. I think every single case is different. And that's so we need to build a program that makes sense for that child, for that parent. And I'm I'm mainly focused on uh, junior high through even college. Uh, oh, okay. But uh, yeah, in fact, I started out uh, the the program that I took, the coach program that I started with said, uh, well, the they look at high dollar amounts. They said private college. I said, well, that may be true, but I don't want to be that elite. <laughs> I, I want to. I want to try to open it up to people that deserve. 
And yeah. Younger kids, uh, that's okay. If I can help, that's fine. I wouldn't say that's where my specialty is. Yes, I've done work with younger kids. Uh, the last district, the, the little district is K-7. So, yeah, I've had a lot of contact with younger kids, and I think I can help there, too. Uh, I'm not representing myself as a behavioral counselor. Okay. I, I'm really not. If, if there's extreme behavior problems, uh, they're probably better sources. If it's a, more an academic success program or a child that maybe is neurodivergent needs help, instantly I had a child that had ADD myself and raised and advocated for it. He graduated from Lewis and Clark College, so I guess I did something right. But, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, so I'm perfectly open to working with with kids with some neurodivergent uh, problems but uh, sure. and helping parents know how to advocate for those kids because I did have to advocate for him which was interesting since I was the high school principal <laughs> yeah got to I was advocating for my own kid uh, with an elementary school principal so uh, setting an example yeah, exactly. So, oh. at any rate, uh, yeah. but yeah, I, I, uh, that's kind of the the program, and uh, we'll set it up. I hope to meet some needs, and, and uh, if I make some money along the way, that's a bonus, I guess. I'd say so, and I'd say this is a bonus. Getting to meet with you, talk to you today, I really enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, well, we'll have to, yeah. Another well, one I enjoy here. talking to you too. There's nothing like talking to another Oregonian. I'm totally surprised. Yeah. This happened to me twice now, <laughs> and from people on the East Coast and said, "Oh yeah, I grew up." I don't know what. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we we're there. Where the Oregon people are are all around, and so <laughs> yeah. yeah, we'll, we'll uh, yeah we'll, we'll do something again here. So uh, hope you have yeah. a great rest of your day, and uh, yeah, we'll you too. Uh, stay in touch. Really right? enjoyed it. Me too, honey. All right. A couple of Oregonians will stay in touch. <laughs> that's right. All right. All right. That's Harvey Hazen. So, you guys, thank you for being here. And I don't know if that's even, uh, I know I, is it going to run now? Is that going to pop up? Oh, now I can do it. Is it going to let me do my thing? You guys, yeah, call in, leave a message if you want. Uh, now that my VLC is back up and going, but. Uh, sort of is it's not going as well as i would have liked it to but it is going so uh shoot here we go so you guys call in leave a message maybe you don't like leaving messages maybe you don't oh come on but maybe you do like leaving messages you can give me a call 503-974-6420 if you want cool by me or maybe you don't like leaving messages and then you're like we don't leave no stinking messages well i fucked that one up so thank you everyone for being here uh yeah i, I really appreciate it thanks for listening check out um check out harvey that was a fun fun conversation with him i enjoyed getting to talk with him and you know, uh, two podcasts in a row getting to bring up uh, the Rajneeshi. So we're on to something. So maybe next show on Friday will be about Rajneeshi. So maybe my other show, maybe the one of these other shows. As I got the on Tuesday and Thursday, I have uh, when the gloves come off. And on Wednesday, it looks like I'm going to be doing possibly another Thinking Man's Pro Slim podcast. All here on the Quantum Global Broadcasting Network, QGBN. I'm your host, Rusty Diamond, and that is the show, man. Boom! It's Rusty Diamond, motherfucker.
It's Rusty Diamond Motherfucker. Ernest! 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 <coughs> yes, Pee Wee. You brought the snacks, right? <laughs>